Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now with anticipation, knowing that you're the one who speaks to us and you lead us. We are opening your word, recognizing that you um, are going to speak to us today. We don't know whether it's something big or something small, Lord, but we know that you're going to speak as we look at your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to uh, have the written scriptures in our own language. And Lord, we don't take that lightly. When we open your word, we um, recognize that you're speaking in a way that will change our lives We ask for your grace now as we do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk about uh, real life. Um, In fact, I want to talk about faith in real life. I want to talk about faith that isn't just a Sunday faith, but a faith that we take into Mondays. In fact, I thought about calling this Monday morning Christianity is the title of the sermon. I I didn't choose that. I I chose a statement later on in the passage for the title for this sermon. But the point is, we need to learn how to take Jesus home. We need to learn how to take Jesus into our lives every day. Because the reality is that the things we talk about today among Christians and, and the people that we enjoy spending time with is a challenge when we take this home into our homes where there are people that are difficult to live with or or at work where people are um challenging at least, or neighbors that are hard to get along with. What do we do with our faith in those moments? How do we respond? How do we respond to people who uh, seem to have issues in their lives and um, somehow we're affected by those? We didn't do anything wrong. We're just trying to do the right thing. But other people have issues and it creates tension in the whole dynamic. That's what we're going to look at today. See, I think sometimes people have a belief in their heart that if you become a Christian, everything's going to be better. You're not going to have any problems. But we know that when you become a Christian, that doesn't remove all of the problems. It does give you a huge resource library, a huge power source to address challenges in your life. And so we're very grateful for what God does when we become a Christian. I like to ask young people when I'm working with them, are you a Christian? And many of them will say yes, and I say, oh, good. Because now we have so many more resources that we can use to bring about change and help you to be strong in your life. That's what we're going to see today as we look at Nehemiah as he takes life into the real world. It's one thing to have an idea in the palace of what you want to do, but when you get down to Monday mornings at work, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle the challenges that you face? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 to the end of the chapter, to verse 20. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read this passage to you together? Open your Bibles. You can read it there. Your online Bibles, if you've got your iPad or your phone or whatever, or your little workbooks you're working on, or your Bible that you're going to write in, or you can look on the screen if you'd like. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 to 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite, that's one of our guys, challenging guys, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, he's the second guy that we have a challenge with, when they heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel, just trying to do the right thing, something good. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three 
days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode, probably a horse. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. The word derision is the same word shame that we saw in chapter 1, verse 3. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and this other guy now, Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You may be seated. There are two guys mentioned in, uh, you see right away in verse 10. These, verse, these two guys are opposing Nehemiah. They've got some problems. I want to talk about these guys because I think you have some of these guys in your life. I'm just guessing. They might be a neighbor. They might be someone in your family. Maybe. I hope not, but maybe that's possible. And they might be someone um, that you see at work, in your neighborhood, these are the challenging people of life. Let's look at these guys for a minute so you know a little bit more who Sanballat the Horonite is and Tobiah the Ammonite servant is. Let me show you a graphic picture of these guys. These are tension-producing guys. Just think about your life. Tension-producing people. That's what they're doing. In particular, notice these, each of these guys have these little, I want to call them little kingdoms. I mean, they're part of the Persian Empire, but... The Persian Empire allowed each of these city-states, we'll call them, to function with their own leadership. And so they had their own little kingdom. And I view these guys, particularly Sanballat, we'll focus on him as, as protecting the status quo. He doesn't want any change. He wants to protect what he has. I'm sure you know some people like that. You go into a new job, and there's a person working in the um, place where they have the resources, and they've got their territory. Don't touch my desk, and stay away from this area. It's those kind of guys that are sand ballot kind of people. The people who are saying, I want to protect what I have, and now Nehemiah is coming, and he's rebuilding the walls. This is going to be a significant influence in the area. They're feeling a threat, uh, this jealousy, in essence, this overprotection that's not helpful for them. I have to say that uh, although we're looking at other people and their problems, I think we need to examine our own hearts at times to see if there's any sand ballad in our own hearts because sometimes we ourselves become overprotective, self-focused, even selfish. It's because we all have a sin nature, and that sin nature really reveals its selfishness in different ways, and sometimes we become 
It's all about protection. Even in a marriage relationship, sometimes they don't touch my stuff, or that's my thing, or I want it this way. That, that's who Sanballat is. He's that kind of a guy. I mean, one five-year-old boy says to his brother, who's three years old, all these toys in this house are mine. I was in this family first. And I think that's how some of us respond to life. We become protectionists. We become focused on the present. We want to protect the status quo. That's Sam Ballot. We've got to be concerned about that in our own hearts, but certainly we see that in other people, neighbors. You know, this is my line here, don't cross it kind of experience. The second guy we see there in our scripture in verse 10 is Tobiah the Ammonite servant. He's a different kind of a guy. If we do some study in the Bible, we find his name in another place, in Ezra, in the book of Ezra. Now, you're studying, we are studying the book of Ezra on Sunday evenings under Pastor Don. And I want to take you back to Ezra chapter 2, because in Ezra chapter 2, we have his name mentioned. So go with me on a tangent here for a moment, if you will, because sometimes a Tobiah kind of person has some baggage from the past that really doesn't affect us, but we, ha- we need to go back and look and see what's going on in Tobiah's life. Let's see what uh, is happening in Ezra chapter 2. It says this. The following were those who came up from Temelah, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, Immer. Though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. You see, what was happening is Ezra's organizing the people, organizing the good. He's giving people jobs to do. But it's very important, their genealogies. What happens in the genealogy is very significant because they want a pure line of the priest. Now, I know sometimes you look at the genealogies and you say, whoops, skip that page, and go right on. That's why you probably want to come tonight, because Pastor Don is going to tell us about the value of genealogies in the Scriptures, particularly the ones we're looking at in Ezra in our study tonight. But these people were coming, and they want to be priests. But their names weren't in the genealogy. They couldn't find the, the paperwork in order to have the job. That's the problem here. Notice their names, it says in the next verse. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, there's our guy, and the sons of Nakoda. Hmm, interesting. So Tobiah wants this job, doesn't have the paperwork, at least his sons do. Verse 62, these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. So they applied for the job. They were passed over for the job. They didn't get the job, and so now they have issues in their hearts. I know you, if you've ever applied for the job and, and been rejected, then you know that feeling of rejection that you have. And, and it may be that Tobiah held on to that. And so now he's coming with his baggage into this situation with Nehemiah, and uh, he's got an ax to grind, but it doesn't have anything really to do with Nehemiah. Doesn't that happen in life sometimes? So we bring baggage from the past into a situation it happens in marriage relationships. You know, you're, you're trying to live with two people together in a home, married, and there's these triggers from your past where you lived in a home, and you think, oh, I lived in a home. Oh, and so you're bringing baggage into the situation. You unleash on somebody, maybe at work. You know, there, there's somebody who comes at you, and you go, what's the problem here? And they probably had a problem with somebody else who had red hair, and now you have red hair, and so that's a trigger. And so uh, they're saying, you know, I'm upset with you. That's the kind of problem that I think we may be seeing sometimes when we find people that are opposing us, creating tension. It's people, they've got their own baggage, just bringing it into this situation, and it's a real challenge. So these guys now, 
uh, are creating tension. These are the people that bring up the tension in our lives, and we, we have to know how to respond to them. I view Sanballat as this kind of guy that's protecting the present. Tobiah is this guy that has past stuff that he's dealing with, and Nehemiah is a different kind of a guy. I would suggest that because we're Christians, we're different. Yes, we have baggage from the past. Yes, we have issues going on in the present. But we're different because we have the power of Christ. The gospel message is at work in our lives. We have Jesus Christ living in our hearts and moving us forward so that we don't succumb to the same kind of problems that others might succumb to, or at least we have the power to overcome those things. I think that's what Paul's referring to in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says these words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, because it often comes out of your mouth. That's where it starts, right? But only such as is good for building up. Both of those words, good and build up, are used in our passage in their Hebrew form uh, today. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We are grace dispensers. And if we don't have some grace to dispense, then we probably shouldn't be saying anything. That's the idea here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, now this is the first of six words. Let me just tell you what these are in case these ring a bell for you, either in yourself or with others. Bitterness is accumulated anger. So that's the first word. Wrath is rage, uh, anger out of control. Anger is a, uh, the result of frustration with a blocked goal or a violated right of some kind. Clamor, that's like a bell, clamor. It's a person who creates tension because of their anger and everybody else feels it around them. Slander is is using truth or not truth or untruth to uh, ruin someone else's reputation or damage their reputation, be put away from you along with all malice. Now, malice is planning evil. One seven-year-old boy was told no by his dad. Dad said, no, we're not going to do this. He was so mad. Mom says, you need to go take a break. You need to settle down, change your heart, come back and see me when you're ready. So he stomps off, and he's seething there. And he says to mom, I'm going to get back at dad. And a little bit later, he derailed dad's bike chain as a way of getting back at him. And mom knew she had a bigger problem than just this one incident, being not be able to accept no as an answer. Here's a boy who's planning evil. we got to be careful with this idea of malice. It's part of that baggage we bring from the past that can create problems in our lives. And so that's why we need this last part of the verse in verse 32, which says, be kind. This was Everett's Bible verse that he shared last Sunday night. He came up and he said, be kind. Well, that, those are the words. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We as Christians are different. We have the ability to work through some of these challenges. It's a challenge for us to do that sometimes. If you've got stuff from the past that you're seeing is affecting the present or you're, you're in the present and you're trying to protect things and not God wants to grow you out of your comfort zone into something new, those can be challenging experiences for any of us. We need to be careful of the Tobias, the Sanballats in our lives, in ourself. Nehemiah is different. Let's look at Nehemiah now. And uh, we're just continuing on in the verse there. And I, I found this very interesting. Don't, don't you see this interesting there in verse 11? He says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. I mean, if it were me, I'd arrive on the scene, and before I go to bed, I'd want to check things out, have a meeting with people, find out who the important guys are. You know, I'd be moving right away, not Nehemiah. He takes three days before he does anything. What is he doing for three days? I think he's resting. After all, he just came off this heavy trip, right? 850 to 1,000 miles away depending on the Google Maps 
choice that he makes. Three months of traveling, depending on the traffic, to get where he is now. And so he takes three days to rest. Or he takes three days. I suppose he's resting during those times. And I think, wow, what an, what an interesting thing. Because I think sometimes, I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes my ability to handle life uh, well decreases when I'm tired. And if I can get some more rest, then I can handle life in a more effective way. And so I'm going to point out four things here that I think that Nehemiah did right out of the passage here, because I think these are the things we want to think about as we're trying to move forward. And you might circle the three days in your, in your notebook as an example of, uh, and just put aside the rest is what he was doing uh, during that time. I like what Alistair Biggs, he's a pastor in Ohio, he said, here's six things you shouldn't do when tired. One, avoid making important decisions. Number two, avoid writing important letters. I would put in there also emails. You know, some people, I don't know why they do this, but they use email as therapy. They'll, they'll write a, a, a flaming email at somebody that they don't intend to send, but it feels good to just write the email and not hit send. But every once in a while, accidentally, you hit send if you're tired. You go, ah, I shouldn't have sent that. And you go, oh, no. Be careful when you're tired because you can make mistakes along those lines. Avoid launching a new project. Avoid the temptation to quit. I like these last two. Avoid assessing your spiritual condition when you're tired. Avoid assessing the spiritual condition of others. Let's just be careful about the conclusions we make about ourselves and others when we're tired. Nehemiah takes time to rest. It's a valuable thing. I know it's really hard, especially for moms who are working 24-7. It's difficult for them to rest sometimes. I, I feel uh, my heart goes out to single parents who don't seem to get a break. My heart goes out to parents of kids with special needs who just need continual care. Or for people who are in chronic pain. I would hope that as a church, we can come alongside of people who are experiencing that overwhelmed condition. Hey, can I come along and help you somehow so you can get some rest or you can go out and do some shopping without the kids or something that we're providing this rest because it's so important in order for us to be able to move forward, I would suggest. In fact, I, I believe that in the same way that uh, Tobiah was kind of preoccupied maybe with the past and, and Sanballat was trying to protect the present, I would suggest that Nehemiah is moving forward here. We want to be the moving forward people in our lives. One thing that Nehemiah does is he rests. The second thing we do, we see that he examines the situation. Let me point out, we read this already, but let me point out the, the landmarks. It says there that he, uh, the valley gate, the dragon spring, the dung gate. Do you see the word inspected? It's underlined in white here on the slide, but I would encourage you to circle that word. Just like you circled three days and marked rest, I would suggest you circle the word there, inspected in verse 13. And notice it's also in 15, verse 15. Circle that word, inspected, the examined life. Uh, notice he goes by the fountain gate and the king's pool, and then in the next verse, verse 15, there's the inspected, and then the valley gate. Those are the landmarks. Let me show you, and you have in your bulletin today, if you open it up, you'll see on the back side of the page an image of the old city of Jerusalem. This is a, uh, a model of the old city of Jerusalem with the walls already built in uh, the time of Nehemiah. So you get the idea of what it looked like, basically. Let me show you a side version of it. 
Uh, that side version just gives you a picture of what it's look. So that's what we're talking about. Now, he's going to ride his horse or his donkey or whatever it is. Um, in just a moment, we're going to see that take place for him. Uh, in fact, let's look at a model. Let's see if I can... Um, if we can talk about this model here. He says he comes out of the valley gate there. See that there? Comes right there. Yeah, he comes out of the valley gate, and he goes by this dragon springs, and he comes down here to the dung gate, and then he goes over by this fountain gate, and then he gets stuck because his animal, his horse, probably can't get through. So it says there he goes in then the valley gate. So I don't know whether he comes all the way back up over here and comes in the valley gate, or he just turns around and goes back the other way into the valley gate. We're not very sure, but that's what's taking place as he's examining what's going on. Now, the examining, I think, is important because the examined life is a valuable thing. That's why, you remember when we celebrated communion last week? One of the things we do is we examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves regularly. It's the Christian calling that we have because there's a tendency for us to accumulate stuff, spiritual stuff, in our hearts. And so if we're regularly examining, we're seeing, are there any broken walls where Satan can get into my life? Are there things that needs to be changed in my heart so that I can be on track? The regularly examining ourselves is strategic for moving forward. So we're looking at those things in our lives in order to make sure that we're examining our hearts in the right way. This is discipleship. This is what God calls us to. Do you remember when Jesus called the disciples? He said to them, Leave your nets and follow me. Now, I believe that every time when we are uh, called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to leave something. I don't know what it is for you or me, but every disciple of Christ must leave something. And notice the nets aren't bad things. I'm not saying leave evil. We all know that. We leave evil. I'm talking about sometimes we leave good things because we have different priorities. We're focusing on Christ and we're, we want to honor him. That's part of what it means, the examined life. Jesus calls us to be disciples and to count the cost. In fact, let me read that passage for you. In Luke chapter 14, it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. We must examine our lives. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And disciples of Jesus Christ, as part of what they do, examine themselves. We open our hearts before the Lord so we can allow the gospel message to, to touch us, to say, you know, the Holy Spirit says, there's a sin there you want to work on. It. Oh, yeah, okay. And so we're examining. There needs to be a time in our lives where examining becomes part of who we are and what we're doing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, Nehemiah is examining the wall to see where the broken parts are, but now he's going to come and take the things he's learned, and he's going to communicate them. Let's look at these next words, and I just want you to see down in verse 17 that the word we and us is used three times. I just like the way he communicates. He's inspiring the people here. He doesn't say, you, 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 you. He says, we. Well, let me read it. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. He's calling them to something. Let's build together. That we may no longer suffer derision or shame. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. You remember we talked about that last week? The good hand of God, that thing we all want in our lives. It becomes our testimony that we can share with others. The good hand of God. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. 
And they said, and we'll come to the end, they said in just a moment. But you see, he's communicating. Do you remember back in Ephesians 4 that I just read in that passage? It says, don't let any corrupting words come out of your mouth. Jesus is the one who said, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you really want to know what's in your heart, well, it'll come out in your words. So if your words are tear-down words, then we got a problem. And he's saying in that passage in Ephesians 4, our words need to be build-up words. I like to use that idea with kids. Are your words tear-down words, or are they build-up words? We want our words to be build-up words. It's the grace we're dispensing to others. So Nehemiah is communicating, and we need to evaluate our own communication because it says something about who we are. Nehemiah is doing that as Nehemiah is focused on moving forward. Great lesson for us to learn here. And lastly, he's moving forward. And I want to look at this next part of the verse. I underlined it here. It says, let us rise up and build. And this this is the title for this message. I just take it right out of the patch. Let us rise up and build. It's made of two Hebrew words. The words rise up is a common word in Hebrew. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. All it means is get up. You're sitting down. It's commonly used this way. And he got up and went. See, it's just the got up part, the arise. That's the word. In this passage, the people are saying, let us rise up and build. They're not saying let us stand up because we're sitting down. They're saying, let us get together. Let's put it together. Let's put our uh, mind uh, in direction so we're going in a particular way. Let's do that. Let's make a decision to take some action. I think some of us need to get up, rise up, and then build. So it's rise up and build. What a beautiful combination of words used there. Because that's really our mission, isn't it, in the Christian life? Our mission is to go forward and rise up and build, and God has called us to do that. He's given us the the message of his gospel to share with people who have broken walls all around. That's what we do. We rise up and build. But maybe God is saying to you in your life, you know, i got some broken walls in my own heart. I need to rise up and build, rebuild, or allow God to rebuild some things in my own heart that are broken down. Very important for us to take action. That's the point. It's an application here. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to sit around. I'm going to get up and do something about it. I'm going to be part of the solution here and move forward. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But here's our Monday morning Christianity. Here's the guys who are opposing us. Here's the challenge in relationships that we find. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Notice what Nehemiah says. I think there's a good application here because Nehemiah is not going to get embroiled in all of this. He's going to make a statement and go on. He says, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. I'm going to entrust this to God and I'm going to allow him to work in our lives. He's the one who is going to make us prosper. And we his servants will arise and build. Those are the same two words again. We're going to get up and we're going to build. We're going to do this. We're not sitting here by ourselves. We're going to move forward. I really like the the movement in this passage. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. The idea here, I'm convinced in this passage, is that, uh, that Nehemiah is saying, we've got a job to do. You know, when you see the brokenness in our world, when you see the challenges all around us, in your world, wherever you are, and you realize there's so much out there, so much damage that has been done in people's lives, sometimes we cower and say, oh, this is so terrible. But I would suggest that God wants us to rise up and build. 
He wants us to, to move forward. Even in the darkest times, that's when leadership is needed most. 20 time, 25 times in the Bible, it says, be strong and courageous. Over 80 times in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Why is that? Could it be that during the most difficult times, that leadership is needed to move forward, and we don't want to be afraid. We want to take courage. We want to go forward, forward in our families, forward in our neighborhood, forward in our church, forward in our communities, forward in our uh, workplaces, that we're going forward. We have a mission that God has given us. How are we going to implement that? I don't know. For you, it's going to be different than me. We're all trying to do that. But one of the beautiful things is that in our neighborhood, in our community, there are broken down walls. And we as a church come together to serve Christ, that we rise up and we build, that we're on a mission. And that mission is not just to, to make us everybody feel good. The mission is to go out there and do the work that God has called us to do, that we're building together. Wow, I, think, I just think that's so powerful for all of us as we're trying to serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for uh, Nehemiah. What a, a model of someone who's rallying the troops and, and then all these people coming together and working together. Lord, I just feel such a, a camaraderie with, um, with other churches, with other uh, Christians, with our missionaries, with so many people that we're on a mission to rise up and build. We're, we want to serve you, Lord, in every area of our lives. But, Lord, we know that there are some times when we just need to uh, look at our own hearts and see if there's any brokenness that needs to be corrected. So, Lord, I ask that you would do that right now in our lives. You'd point out areas where we need to make some corrections. Lord, as we examine our hearts, we ask you to speak. Do that deeper work in our lives, Lord. Empower us with your strength and your abilities in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.